Good morning, church. How we doing? Come on, we could do better. Good morning, church. How we doing? All right, all right, all right. Well, very good. Uh, I am excited to be here. It's the last week. It's Thanksgiving week. Just a lot going on. We're going to share in Holy Communion. It's going to be a great Sunday. I'm, I'm ready. Are you ready? Very good, very good. Well, we've been in a series called To the Future where we've been looking at the story of the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible, that's where we're gonna be today. Of course, we'll have the words up on the screen. You can follow along. Um, But we've been looking at the story through all of the vantage points of the characters in the story. So week one, we kind of looked at it through the eyes of the father. Then last week, Pastor Matt, who brought an incredible word, looked at it through the place of the brother. And ultimately today, we're going to look at it through the eyes of the younger brother, the prodigal son himself. I'm excited. So if I could recap it for you really quick, I'd love to do that really quick. Number one, uh, this is week one. May we have the faith and obedience to be like the father. That's the goal. We want to be like the father to our world in need, where we receive people, we run, meet them. We don't fold our arms in judgment, but we embrace them, cover them in grace and restore them to who God says that they are. Amen? All right. The caution, what we have to guard ourselves from becoming is like the older brother. We have to guard ourselves. May we resist the complacency to be like the older brother. Any other older brothers in the house other than myself, okay? Right? We have to resist being that way and resist getting there. Today, my point, what I'm going to hammer home is that this. May we always remember that on our best day, we are prodigals who have come home. On our best day, we are prodigals have come home. Amen? All right. Any road ragers in the house? No? Just, okay, good. I'm a road rager. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the silent type of road ragers. You know, I'm the, I'm the person that I get very annoyed at people's driving or their lack of skill or knowledge in driving. Uh, and, and so I don't yell. I don't curse. I don't cuss. I don't get upset. I just get childish and, and drive aggressively back at them. Okay. So, so the other day I found myself in a situation that I, I don't know that I expected. Um, I was late getting out of the house, uh, getting my kids to school. The school enacted this year, this, this new policy that if you have so many tardies, you get a detention. And so my firstborn, she is one of those like crazy rule followers, any rule followers in the house. And so the thought that she would get a detention is the scariest thought in her mind. So, so she's yelling, let's go. I can't be late. I don't want a detention. My younger son, he doesn't know what a detention is. He don't care. Uh, so we get in the car and we're racing. And sure enough, I'm, I'm just swerving. I'm moving as fast as I can. I'm speeding. Sorry, Jesus, I forgive me. And I get to the place on 91 where it's two lanes. And I try to go around this lady, lady, lady. <laughs> Now, I'm not saying women are bad drivers. I'm just saying she was. That's all, okay? And I'm trying to get around her, and and she won't let me, so I cut her off. Then, then I'm frustrated, I'm irritated, and I, I know that she didn't just go away. She was now angry that I cut her off. So she's playing with me. At least this is the narrative I'm building in my head, Okay. And so I try to get back over. I'm, I'm kind of weaving in and out of like one of those crazy people. I finally get in ahead and I race. And then it's at the point where I have to get in the other lane to turn into the, to the church because my daughter goes to school here. So I cut her off again. <laughs> and I turn, I'm like, oh, and guess who turns right behind me? 
dropping her son off at school. So that was an awkward stare down in the parking lot. I went in the back door. Now I tell you that story, you know, I confess that story to you. Yes, I'm working on it. The Lord's working on me. But we all have a thing, don't we? We all have a little bit of darkness inside of us, a little bit of humanity that the Lord hasn't worked out yet, right? And that's a funny one. And don't get me wrong, that's not my only one. I got more. But I say that to say this. I have discovered, and I think that you would agree with me, is that you, we can often tell when we've made God in our own image, it's when he hates all the same things we do. I'm gonna say that again, because it's powerful. We can often tell that we've made God in our own image when he hates all the same things that we do. Now I wanna scale that on a macro level and I, it's too big, it's, it's too personal if I, if I take shots. And my, my point is not to take shots, but I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, there's a lot of uh, racism, there's a lot of uh, bigotry, there's a lot of belief systems that we begin to realize that that comes from our idea that we have made God in our image so much that generalities or certain people or certain things annoy us so much that we then think God hates that too. And what, what that exposes is that while we, yes, have depravity, we clearly don't understand our own depravity because all that we see is everyone else's depravity. And so I tell you that today because when I say that we're gonna look at the story of the younger brother, I'm not talking about people who are not in this room right now. I'm actually speaking to the people who are sitting in the seats right now who you don't realize it yet, but you're a prodigal right now. There's something about you, something that you're hiding, something that you're covering up, something that, that maybe you're not being honest with and you've put on a facade and you've just showed up at church because you just think that that will make you feel better about your situation when the truth is it isn't. And I tell you that because I want you to read with me as we unpack this story in that perspective is that we're all prodigals who either have come home, have yet to come home, or are too stubborn to come home. So let's jump in the story. It's found in Luke 15, uh, verse 11. You can follow along on the screen. It says this, illustrate the point further. Jesus told him the story. A man had two sons. And the younger son told his father, I want to share, I want my share of your estate now. I want you to liquidate. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want you to give me what's mine now. So the father agreed. He divided his wealth between the sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Now, again, we can picture this. The sad part is many of us picture the Las Vegas that he had to go somewhere else. But, but my point, my first point for today is the distant land is not measured by distance. It's not measured by distance. My wife and I, we're, we're kind of crazy. We're, we're really good planners. And then we realize we're not good planners. So it's Thanksgiving this week, right? We have, we have 24 people coming over for Thanksgiving dinner. And so we decided we should renovate our bathroom. <laughs> Why not? And then because we're living in the chaos of a renovated bathroom, we said, well, let's double down and let's renovate other stuff. So we're renovating our hallway, rip the wallpaper off. Now we gotta get the glue off the walls. Let's re-carpet the basement while we're at it because you know, how much pain is too much pain? And, and in this, it's driving me nuts. Now listen, Matt Wade was here last week because I was in Brazil. And I thank you for allowing me to go to Brazil. I know a lot of people ask, Kyle, why are we in Brazil? We planted two churches there about 18 months ago and they're exploding. 
So I wanted to see the move of God that's happening in Brazil, and I can't wait to tell you about it. It's a lot. I'm not, I don't have time for it today, but there's amazing stuff going down there. One of the things about Brazil is it's a third world country. I don't know that I processed that it was a third world country. So I remember calling my wife and saying, hey, I'm coming home. And what I didn't know until I got to Brazil is that they don't have hot showers. They don't believe in them. Uh, they don't. Uh, it's real weird. There's a 220 volt outlet plugged into the shower head because that's not sketch, but it does not produce warm water. I don't get it. And some of you are like, what? I'm like, yeah, it is not OSHA approved, okay? So I'm like, babe, when I come home, I just need to know if I can take a hot shower in a somewhat clean environment. And she says, yes, I call my contractor. Buddy, I need to know, am I, can I take a shower? Because if I can't, I'm not going to be upset. I'm just going to get a hotel room because that's what Kyle needs. And they assured me it would be fine. I land in Cleveland, turn on my phone, get a text from my wife. It's a disaster, babe. I'm sorry. I'm like, oh. I get home. I walk in my half-renovated bathroom. And I felt like I was in a third world country. And I get up to the shower and there's just dust and debris everywhere. And I'm like, what is going on? Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this is because I think many of us, we think that a distant land is so far away, but many of you know what it's like when your home doesn't feel like your home anymore. See, a distant land is, is sometimes what happens when we choose to not be obedient to God, that even the things that used to feel familiar, the things that used to bring us safety and comfort, the, the places that used to be safe, they no longer feel safe. And so naturally as human beings, what we do is we think, oh, it must be stuff. It must be the stuff in it. It must be these things that'll make me happy. So our wild living is not that we go out and, and blow money in Vegas. Our wild living is, is that we aren't living in peace. And so we try to buy things that we think will fill the void to our peace. Because surely more stuff or this particular thing or that particular thing or a bigger this or a, or a downsizing this or less of this or more of this is going to fill some void of distant living. And I tell you that church, because many of you right now, unfortunately, you may not realize it. I hope you do by the end of this story. It is you're living in a distant land, but yet you're going home every day. It just doesn't feel like home. It doesn't feel like it once did. And it might be because you're a prodigal and you don't realize it. About the time that his money ran out, verse 13, a great famine, of course it did, swept over the land. He began to starve and he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. Again, Jewish man, Jewish boy, Jewish story, Jewish storyteller. It's not a far leap to sit here and go, wow, Jewish people are disgusted by pigs. They're unclean. This man is now doing something that he thought he would never do. One of my favorite authors says this, is that unquestionable people always end up doing unquestionable things. You ever find yourself in a spot where you're like, oh my gosh, what have I become? And it's the thing that you always vowed you would not become. Or you find yourself doing what you used to be disgusted and you don't know how you got to doing it. Well, that's easy. It's because the distant land is a land of deception and poverty. The grass always looks greener on the other side until you get there. 
This son, he, he, he thought, oh, I know better than the, my dad. I, I know I could steward better than my dad. I can give myself the life I want better than my father could. So he cashed out as a Satan. He said, give me my life. And he walked out in that deception and that pride and he ended up in poverty. And here's the thing, it's not poverty that's just our wealth, though he did have nothing. Here's the crazy, you might be experiencing spiritual or emotional poverty and you got plenty of money in the bank account. Because poverty is not just something of, of lack of physical value. Sometimes of us are going through spiritual or emotional poverty and we don't even realize it. What is that? Well, that's what our pride costs us. See, I put on the screen, pride costs us fellowship. He left his family. He was too good for his family. He thought he was better off without his family. He thought it was better to be alone somewhere else than with the people he loved and the people that loved him. It cost him freedom, right? He, he knew better. Give me my money now because I'm gonna go live it up. He lived it up and where'd he end up? He ended up in a place that he never thought possible, serving someone else. And not a fun job, serving the pigs. And most of all, it cost him his future. See, in his father's house, his estate would have grown. His value would have continued to increase. His, 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 his cash out or his payout upon his father's death would have continued to grow. And now he's jeopardized all of it. He has no future. Recognizing that he has no future, the young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. He, he became so hungry that even the most detestable thing in his life, what the detestable thing was eating looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, which thank you, the Holy Spirit, at some point we all come to our senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants operate out of abundance. Even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And I'm here dying of hunger. I, I don't know uh, how painful that moment of pride is when you realize, wow, maybe following God or being obedient is a path to abundance than, than making me feel like I got to do it all on my own. You know, we, we talk about this every once in a while and, you know, our church runs on the generosity of the people sitting amongst you and not everyone is, participates in being generous to the church. And sometimes I have, you know, awkward conversations when people, they want to get involved or they want to do stuff or they want to they become a member, but they're not generous. And so we're like, well, you know, that's kind of one of the qualifiers to do some things is we ask that you be generous because we want to model behavior. And I love when they tell me, oh, I'll be generous when I have extra. And I think that's funny. I don't know what other word. It's funny because if you think that there's a number in which you can become generous, you'll never be generous because you miss the part that you were never in control to begin with. That's like a young parent saying, I'm gonna have kids when I'm ready. I got two kids, one's 11, I'm still not ready. My, my parents who are grandparents of my kids aren't ready. Every time they think they're ready, the seasons change. 
the, the situation changes. It's not about being ready. It's about knowing who is ready and trusting and leaning not on your own understanding, but God and what he's equipped you with. And I, I say that because I wish our church would just emulate this line of this story. Even the servants have enough food to spare. Man, I would love our church, even our servants to operate out of abundance. We could change the world. But unfortunately, not all of them do. The story goes on. He comes to his senses. He plots his plan. I'm gonna go home to my father and I'm gonna say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Please, please give me a job. Please give me an opportunity to earn my worth to you. Give me an opportunity to earn a restored relationship with you. Please, please help me to restore my integrity with you. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father ignored everything that he said, saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. And then as you heard in week one, he covered him in grace. He restored his dignity. He restored his place in the family. He gave him power. He gave him his authority back. He gave him his voice back. Just like what God does to us. And here's my third and final point. You might not realize it. You may not feel it. You might not know it. But there's some of you right now that you can come home and you need to come home. But some don't. See, in this story, all that we have to go on is what we know. And the younger brother thought he knew best and lived a great life until it wasn't a great life. And he realized it and he came home. The older brother never did come home. He, he never understood his sonship in the house. And that's the crazy thing about pride is we'll preach it. We'll even teach it. We'll, we'll, we'll tell other people about it but some of us won't ever come home and experience the grace of God because we think we're too good. We think we don't need it. And that blows my mind because the greatest saints are not those who use the least amount of grace. The, great saints, the greatest saints are those who understand how much grace they operate in. When we understand our own depravity, we will cease being surprised at other people's depravity. And we'll understand that the world is not perfect, but we cling to the one who is. And we invite people into the journey with us. You can always come home and some don't. Now, I, I know that Jesus was a master storyteller. Stories have a power. And Jesus was really good at telling stories that people knew back then. And, and he would do this crazy thing. He would take the ending and he would flip it. And, and he would take the whole paradigm and shift it. And he'd blow people's minds on what they thought they knew. And then what he would teach. And I read a story. It's, it's actually from the 1970s. And it was, it's not even a Christian story. It's a secular story for the business world. And I read this story and I don't even, I don't even know how I found this story. But when I read it, I was like, oh my, I need to share this. 
And in our day and age, it's a parable, if you will, to, to our world based on what's on our TVs right now. You can begin to visualize what, what's in the news, what, what's happening in the movies, what, what's happening in the theater of our days. You can begin to visualize how this story can speak to us today. And so if you'll allow me, I would love to share it with you. It's called The Dragon and the Prince. There once was a great and noble king whose land was terrorized by a crafty dragon. Like a massive bird of prey, the scaly beast delighted in ravaging villages with his fiery breath. Hapless victims ran from their burning homes only to be snatched into the dragon's jaws or to be grasped by his talons. The king the mighty king, he led his sons and his knights in many valiant battles against the serpent. And each time they would wound the dragon to the point that he would retreat to his hidden lair deep in the mountains. While the dragon healed, the kingdom would be at peace for a time. And the king would always declare, take courage. One day the dragon will be slain. Take courage. One day, the dragon will be slain. One afternoon, riding alone in the forest, one of the king's sons heard his name purred low and soft. In the shadows of the ferns and the trees, curled amongst the boulders, lay the dragon. Don't be alarmed, said the dragon, as gray wisps of smoke rose lazily from his nostrils. I am not what your father thinks. The prince entertaining the conversation responds, well, what are you then? I am pleasure, said the dragon. Ride on my back and you will experience more than you ever imagined. Come now, I have no harmful intentions. I just seek a friend, someone who, to, who will share flights with me. Have you ever dreamed of flying? Have you ever thought about soaring amongst the clouds? Have you ever allowed the sun to glisten off your skin as you flew through the air? Bring your sword if you wish, but I give you my word, prince, no harm will come to you. Visions of soaring high above the forested hills drew the prince hesitantly from his horse. The dragon unfurled one of his great webbed wings to serve as a ramp to his ridged back. Between the spiny projections, the prince found a secure seat. Then the creature snapped his powerful wings twice and into the sky he found himself. Once aloft, the dragon wafted effortlessly on the wind streams and the prince's apprehension to flying with the dragon melted into awe and exhilaration. From then on, he met the dragon often, but of course, secretly. For how could he tell his father, his brothers, his fellow knights that he befriended the enemy? The prince felt separated from them all. Their concerns were no longer his concerns. Even when he wasn't with the dragon, he spent less time with those he loved and more time alone. The skin on the prince's leg became callous from gripping the ridged back of the dragon. His hands grew rough 
and hardened, and he began wearing gloves to hide the calluses. After many nights of riding, he discovered scales beginning to grow on the backs of his hands. With dread, he realized his fate. Were he to continue to fly with the dragon, the more he would look like the dragon. Tortured with desire, he tried to resist. Transpired many times, but no matter what his determination, the prince eventually found himself pulled back as if it were cords of an invisible web, silently, patiently, the dragon always waiting. One cold and moonless night, the dragon attacked the village. Torching the thatched roofs, the fiery blast from his nostrils, the dragon soared with delight as he terrified victims fled from their burning homes, swooping in and down and back, Belching again flames, he watched as it engulfed a cluster of screaming villagers. Terrified refugees streamed into the protective walls of the castle. The prince walked among them. He he saw a woman carrying wailing children with gashes from the dragon's talons. Some victims were so badly wounded or so badly burned, they, they were brought in carts or dragged on makeshift pallets. The prince's heart was torn. Their pain, it brought tears to his eyes and shame to his soul. What have I become, he asked himself. At that moment, he wanted even more desperately to be free of the dragon. Perhaps his father, in all his wisdom, could help, but the prince feared that the truth would make him abhorrent to his father's sight. Surely he would be disowned, exiled, even condemned to death. The castle bustling with frantic activity as people rushed about to care for the refugees and the throngs of hurting people in the courtyard. Horrified, the prince saw his father, the king. He was in the courtyard holding a bleeding child in his arms. The king's face mirrored the agony of his people. His eyes found the prince. It overwhelmed him so much with grief that the prince knew he had to confess. A little while later, he went into the great hall where his father was now sitting solemnly on the throne. There he confessed that he had befriended the dragon. He even rode on the mighty beast's back. The people of the, of the, the sacred hall, they, they started to rail against the prince. They started screaming, banish him. One of his own brothers angrily cried out, kill him. Other people screamed, burn him alive. The king rose from his throne, blood stains from the wounded shone darkly on his royal robes. The crowd fell silent as the expectation of his decree was imminent. The prince could not bear to look in his father's face, so he just stared at the flagstones of the floor. Take off your gloves and your tunic, the king commanded. The prince... Obeying slowly, ready to have his metamorphosis uncovered before the kingdom. Was his shame not already great enough? He had hoped for a quick death without further humiliation, but nonetheless, he removed his gloves and his tunic. 
Sounds of the revulsion ripped throughout the crowd. The sight of the princess's thick, scaled skin and the ridge now growing along his spine. The king moved towards his son, the prince expecting to be backhanded by his father, though he had never been struck before, hid his face. Instead, the father embraced him and wept as he held him tightly. In shock and in disbelief and not knowing what else to do, the prince buried his face in his father's shoulder. The king then whispered into his son's ear, do you wish to be free of the dragon, my son? The prince answered in despair, I have wished it so many times, but there is no hope for me. The king responded, not alone. Alone, there is no hope. You cannot win against the serpent alone. Father, I am no longer your son. I am half the beast, sobbed the prince. But his father replied, church, hear me. My blood runs in your veins. My nobility has always been stamped deep within your soul. Nothing can take that from you. With his face still hidden tearfully in his father's embrace, the prince heard the king then instruct the crowd. The king now walking amongst his nobles and his knights, he declared, the dragon is crafty. Some fall victim to his lies and some to his violence. But there will be mercy for all who wish to be free. Who else? Who else? Who else? has ridden the dragon. The prince lifted his head to see someone emerge from the crowd. To his amazement, he recognized his older brother, one who had been lauded throughout the kingdom for his onslaughts against the dragon in battle and for his many good deeds. But there was more, several more. Some came weeping, others hanging their heads in shame. Even the sister who was known for her beautiful singing came, tearfully removing her slippers to reveal the spiked scales on her feet. The king embraced all of them. One by one, he embraced them. He then declared to the people in the room, this, this right here is our most powerful weapon against the dragon. Truth alone cannot, you cannot resist him. But together, we prevail. See, we draw our strength from one another. Those of you who think yourselves immune to the serpent's lies, beware lest you will be next to fall. But those of you, those that are ensnared, you must desire freedom more than the dragon's flight. The struggle is gonna be long and it's gonna be fierce. And over time, you're gonna choose more often against the dragon than for him until finally, until finally you won't go to the dragon anymore. Someone yelled from the crowd, death to the dragon. A great cheer rose from the chorus. Death to the dragon. Long live the king. Long live the king, death to the dragon. I love that story. I love that story when the king asked his son, 
Do you want to be free of the dragon? I said, said, yeah, but I don't think it's possible. His dad said, oh, it's possible. You might not know this, but one of our values at this church is the freedom to know God and be known by God. See, we all want freedom. Unfortunately, not a lot of us ever get to experience it because we want to know God, but we don't want to be fully known by God. We want to hold some parts of our heart because we think it's too ugly for God to deal with. And yet I'm just telling you, church, we defeat the dragon together. If you don't believe me, uh, uh, then let's look at John's words in the book of Revelation. It's a dramatic retelling of how it'll look when Jesus comes back to earth. And what does John say? It says, they, that's us, defeated the dragon. They defeated him by the blood of the lamb. The lamb being Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He did what we could and he sacrificed his life. He took our sin, our shame, our guilt, our mistakes, everything we're not. He said yes to it on the cross and he made a way where there was no way. But what does it say next? Because many of us, we agree that it's the blood of the lamb. But what does it say next? It says, by the blood of the lamb and their testimony. Their testimony. Church, I've never heard a great testimony told to myself. And yet what I don't understand is why do we not testify to each other what God is up to? I've heard miracles. I've heard dramatic healings. I've heard people being restored. I've heard testimonies of relationships being reconciled. But why are we not shouting them from the rooftops? Because it's how we win. It's the blood of the lamb and what we testify to. And here's my question. It's the same question that John asked us in this verse. It says this, they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. My question is, do you love God enough to let your life die? I hope the answer is yes. Because whatever part you're clinging on to that you won't die to is probably what's gonna rob you of experiencing the Father. I'm just telling you, church, come home. Run to the father because he's running after you. He didn't send his son to die for who you wish you were. Who you wish you could be. He he didn't send his son to die for a masked version of yourself. He didn't send his son to die for some parallel version of yourself. He wants to know you, every aspect of you. He's not afraid. He said yes, because guess what? He knows. He knows. He knows your deepest, darkest secret. And he still said yes on the cross because he loves you. And I love what John goes on. He says, therefore rejoice. Even the heavens rejoice. Even you who live in the heavens but we don't read this next verse. I don't know why. We need to a lot more. Sometimes we look at the news. 
We look at the, what's happening in the world. We look at some negative something and we go, oh, there's no hope. And I would just ask that you remind you of scripture's pretty clear. What does it say? What's the next verse? But terror will come to the earth and to the sea for the devil, the dragon, the serpent has come down to you and he's angry. But here's why he's angry, church. What's that last verse? What's that last words? Because he knows that he has little time. I'd be angry too. We win. The blood of the lamb and our testify, our testifying, our testimonies, we win. My question is, are you winning? Or are you still hiding? And the, the most honest version of yourself is a prodigal who came home. A person who could not do it himself, who thought they knew better, but had to go figure out, man, I was wrong. And I came home. And my fear is that in this church, we're gonna allow people to live in hiding and perpetuate who they wish they were rather than to live in the freedom that God promises. So I'd invite you to come home. You know, it's fitting on the Sunday before Thanksgiving that we share in Holy Communion. If you have not received the elements, just slip your hand up. One of our ushers will run them to you. Uh, but in scripture, we find that the only prerequisite to sharing in Holy Communion together is that you have to know Jesus. I think that's a great requirement. Holy Communion means nothing if you don't know Jesus. But I also think it's an invitation that I wanna to extend to you right now. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day. It's the best day. There's no better day than right now. And here's the best part. It's not some special formula. It's not some action. It's not some prayer. It's not some coming up front. It's simply two things. It's confessing with your mouth that he is who he says he is and he did what he said he was gonna do. And number two, it's believing in your heart that to be true. You know, it's one thing when you say you believe to your mind. It is another thing when you believe in your heart. There's a connection that, that if God isn't who he says he is, then nothing matters. Yeah, that's right. That's the kind of belief in who he says he is that he needs you to have. And he needs you to confess that with your mouth. Now listen, if you did that, all of heaven is rejoicing if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do that. It's not something you do to someone else. It's something you do for yourself. But I would encourage you to tell someone why. Because the devil, the dragon, the serpent wants you in isolation. And when you tell someone, you begin to defeat the enemy because you begin to practice what it means to live in the blood of the lamb and testify to his goodness in the land of the living. And now you get to join the winning side. So if you pray that, please tell someone. Because guess what, church? Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. 
do not be afraid. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread. See, even the savior of the world was betrayed. Even the savior of the world had personnel problems. Even the savior of the world had relational struggles. On the night he was betrayed, in front of his betrayer and his people close to him, he took a piece of bread and he said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. They had no clue what he was talking about. On the other side, we now know exactly what he was talking about. He was going to be whipped, beaten, broken for our transgressions. How fitting Thanksgiving week to remember the body that was broken. Would you take the bread that represents the body? A little while later, he took a cup. I'm pretty confident it was bigger than this one. At least I hope. And he says, this is the cup of my new covenant. It represents my blood that's going to be poured out for you. What is that cup of the new covenant? That cup of the new covenant is, I am not gonna war with my people. In fact, I'm gonna go sit in the presence of my father and I'm gonna respond to them as needed. But one day I'm going to return. And when I return, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and the skies will open up and no one's gonna stop my glory. And I'm going to defeat the dragon. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. But until then, until that day, I want you to remember this covenant often that my blood paved a way for you. May we drink of the cup of the new covenant that represents the blood that was shed. Church, would you stand with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for stories. Thank you for being a God that calls prodigals back to him. God, we run to the Father right now. We run to you, God. We, we don't want to, to live in a facade of who we are. We want freedom. We want to know you and we want to, to be fully exposed in front of your presence. God, we know that we could defeat the dragon. Your word tells us that it's by your blood. And God, may we testify to your goodness in the land of living. May we as people of this house tell better stories of what you're up to. God, may we take the stories, the miracles, the reconciliation, the healings, the blessings, the stories of your goodness. May we cling to them when our life isn't going well. And may we be filled by hope as we continually run to you again and again and again. And Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for restoring us. Thank you for your sonship and your daughtership on us, God. We love you. And it's in that that we say, amen, amen.